And so after service, every Sunday, if you feel like there's something that you would specifically like prayer for, or if God has just spoken to you through the words that you're hearing that morning, um, would you come to the front? There'll always be people here who would, with a heart and a half, love to pray with you, and um, and it's always available. So we just wanted to let you know that that happens on Sundays as well. So Ali's going to come this morning and share the word. Did I catch you off guard? Sorry. <laughs> um, let's just pray for him. God, thank you for how you lead, God, and, and thank you for the leadership that you have put into Alan, God. Thank you for um, the influence that he is, not just in our body, God, but in the wider church body and our nation, Father. And so we just pray that this morning that you would um, flow through him, that your spirit would come and and say what it is that you want to say this morning, God, and that as we reflect back over everything that you've done, God, that ultimately all of the glory this morning will be yours, that it won't just be um, about whipping up excitement among us and, and all that we have done, Father, but it will just reflect back to who you are as our good Father. In your name, amen. Thank you, Bruna. Morning, everyone. It's good to see you all this morning. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to share a little bit this morning, but we're also going to hear from a few other people who are going to come up in um, five or ten minutes. Um, maybe we'll just lift our offering. Could we do that? Um, while we do that, I, I just one or two other quick things to say. Um, that's, but that's give on to the Lord. Just all the loads of money that we've got left after Christmas. <laughs> that, was a jo- that was a joke. I thought it was funny. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> tough crowd this morning. Um, <laughs> um, so I would really encourage you, the early bird rate for the new festival, is, as Bruno says, runs out. Please, please do really consider that. Like, you know, we, like, we really do feel like we are um, setting apart a kind of holy kind of moment um, over those couple of days. Like, we'll most likely probably not have a church service on the Sunday morning here. Um, that's how kind of serious we want the whole church to kind of get behind it. Um, so we'd really encourage you to, to get involved. You don't have to sign up, but you can just take advantage, as Bruno said, of the discount before that. And um, we just feel like there's momentum gathering all the time in the spirit for what the Lord wants to do. So please um, bear that in mind. If you want any more chat or details about it, please come and speak to any of us afterwards. Um, just as we as we lift the offerings, before we get into what we want to do this morning, um, I just want to take five minutes here and help you understand and explain I said a little bit about this last week and we sent an email out but we just want everyone to be aware of what we want to do next Sunday and we're also aware that over Christmas some people are kind of a wee bit here there and everywhere so they maybe haven't got all the information but um, what, I, what I want to say is next Sunday is, is a special morning for us. It's the first Sunday of, uh, t- of 2020, the first Sunday of a new, of a new decade and um, we want to... Um, uh, seal, if you like, a little bit of what we've been chatting about over the last three or four months regarding how we as a church have come to understand membership and membership in the local church. And I just want to talk about that a little bit. Most of what I want to say is in the links to the documents that you were sent out last month, last Sunday, I think, by email. But um, and, and I know I'm preaching to the, to the choir in many ways because many of you already have committed yourself to the local church here in lots of different ways. And we're here last year when many of us laid bricks to signify and to symbolize that, that commitment. But I suppose we just wanted to beef up a little bit over the last year what we mean when we talk about membership and for those of you who weren't here to get a chance to sort of catch up on that well what does it really mean I suppose the question is what does it really mean to belong to the local church and how do we understand that and and part of the reason why we wanted to do some work with this is we feel like the word um, membership has got a bit co-opted by the by the world um and um it, it has become quite a transactional thing. Membership is quite a uh, it, it's quite a cold, impersonal, transactional, contractual thing, where it's much more about your terms of commitment to something, your rights, and all of that. And um, and really, what we see in the New Testament is the opposite of that when it comes to membership. It's not really about what we get for our money. It's about how do we lay down our rights? How do we lay down our lives in commitment to something else? It's a kind of counterintuitive thing to the way the world understands it. And uh, 
And when the, when the Bible talks about the word member, it's much less like the member of a particular club and much more about a physical body member, okay? So, you, you know, the way that members of your body are kind of all joined together in one, and if one part of that member is ripped out, then the pain that that causes the rest of the body is a much different thing than just signing a piece of paper for a contract, you understand? And so we've been using this phrase, covenant and community, over the last few while. And maybe, maybe you're thinking, what on earth does that kind of mean, as we've mentioned it? And I just want to take two minutes here. As I say, more detail of this is in the stuff that we've written, and we're going to produce that into a booklet. But we want to make it really nice. And so uh, the first kind of draft, we just wanted to send to you to read. And then over the next six months or so, we'll be working on that. Um, but what I want to say is <clears throat> what this is not when we talk about covenant community. It's not a cult, okay? It's not a secret society, okay? There's no special introductions in that regard or, or handshakes or anything like that. You know, the introduction is, your, is in some ways your baptism and the introduction is in some ways communion, um, that is the, this, the way that we commit to this kind of community. We're not controlling one another's lives. We're not, it's not a heavy-handed thing. It's nothing like that. Essentially, what we're talking about here, when we use this phrase, is family. We're talking about family in God's eyes, and we're talking about the kingdom family. And, and we believe that this is what the New Testament writers are talking about, particularly in the book of Acts, and then what Paul in his letters is trying to encourage the early church in, forming us into a loving family of deep, deep commitment and connection with one another. And I suppose the theology behind it is that at Pentecost and when we come to Jesus and the Holy Spirit fills us, that the Spirit of God in all of us binds us together in a way that no other club, no other um, uh, group, no other whatever kind of collection of people can be bonded as deeply as the Spirit of God can bind a group of people. Right? That's why it's a tragedy when churches break down and split and all of those kind of things. Right? It happens because it's life, but it's horrendously difficult and painful because it's the Spirit of God within us, binding us together in loving commitment. And so what I want to say to you is it's nothing forced because it's love, and love is never forced if it's true love, if it's love that reflects the Father. It's a choice. But it would be dishonest to say that it's not, there's not a degree of challenge with it um, because <clears throat> the, the, the kind of centerpiece of following Jesus is to deny yourself, to deny your own rights um, in order to follow Jesus and to commit ourselves to his bride. And, and God calls us <clears throat> to give ourselves and to give ourselves to his love in a way that conflicts with our own self at times. And uh, <clears throat> it conflicts with the parts of us that want to keep a bit back of ourselves, that wants to pick and choose how much we get involved in church, that wants to, you know, that wants to pick and choose how much we commit ourselves to one of people. It kind of challenges that part if we're being completely honest as, as well. We, where we want relationships with, on our terms, where we only hang out with the people that we kind of like. <laughs> Committing ourselves to covenant and community kind of pushes us beyond those selfish kind of motives. And it's the place in loving community that follows Christ into death in order that we can truly find life. It's what we call the cruciform life, the life that looks like Jesus. And so when we commit ourselves to the local church, what we're actually doing is we're committing ourselves to Jesus and to one another to pull one another forward in the things of God, to speak into one another's lives, to have permission to love one another, to be vulnerable with one another, to serve one another, to speak to one another, to give each other the benefit of the doubt, to have grace for one another. Yeah, That's what we really feel that the New Testament is calling us towards. And so in the past, maybe you've been part of churches, and in some ways we feel our own believing and belonging became a little bit less it's the kind of thing, you know, where these days to join the church, you go along, you check it out. Do I like the worship? Do I think my kids are going to look, be looked after? Which is an important question. You know, do I like the feel of the place? You know, is the coffee good? I'll sign the form and commit. And that's a little bit of a caricature. And it's not like all of those things are really, really wrong. It's just slightly superficial. Yeah, And what we feel the Lord is calling us to is just a deeper level of understanding of what it means to commit to members of the same body. And that doesn't mean that, as I say, it's a heavy-handed thing. That just 
I need that. Like, I would love to be holy enough that I didn't need that, but I'm not. So I want to come next Sunday, and I want to take communion with you, and I want to commit my heart to Jesus afresh at the start of a new year and a new decade, and to you. And uh, I'm going to let you down, and I am not going to add up to all of everybody's expectations. In the same way, as we will all do that to one another, but that's exactly what it is to be part of family and covenant and community, that we have grace for that, but we've also permission to love one another. And when some of us are slitting slightly on the edges, feeling a little bit cold for the circumstances of life or the things that are going on, we learn how to get around one another and pull one another through in order to be the people of God. And so next week, we're going to come together. Um, I'll just read it to you quickly. We're going to say, if you would like to, uh, as I say, love is a choice. So this is why we wanted you to be able to think about this and pray about this. Um, this, is, this is what the prayer we're going to pray. We prayed something very similar for those of you who helped lay the bricks last year. As a follower of Jesus in this area, I desire to covenant myself to Emmanuel Church as my spiritual home. I, or we as a family, are making a decision of the heart to plant our roots here for the foreseeable future. Weak as I am, I recognize that I'm a vital part of this body, and by God's grace, we will strive to fulfill my unique contribution to the health and the flourishing of this local church in its vision to fulfill the Great Commission. Though not perfect, I recognize those God has appointed as leaders of this household of faith and choose to pray, support, and bless them as they seek to equip the body for the work of the ministry and shepherd the flock. By your grace, I strive to pursue the bond of peace, love my brothers and sisters in words, speech, and actions. It's my desire to respond with a wholehearted commitment to Emmanuel Church and give my yes to his vision and leadership through my words, service, and giving. So that's just the prayer that we're proposing that we pray together next week. If you don't want to pray that, you're still very welcome here. Um, we'd love you to come along. It doesn't mean that you can't keep coming. It also doesn't mean that you can never get out, okay? Don't worry. Um, it's not like a lock-in or anything like that. Um, if you feel God's calling you somewhere else to another part of the world or simply to another church for a particular season, we would love to bless you and release you when that time comes. We'd love you to speak to us about that. We'd love to journey and release you and say, go and be all that God created you to be in that local fellowship. But at the same time, there's something. Love looks like something, doesn't it? Love looks like something. It looks like a way of life. And, uh, and so while we have been teaching these six practices over the last six, the last three or four months is because um, every community has a way, every family has a set of values. And the family values of the kingdom family or the way of the community is essentially the Jesus way. And so we have a set of doctrine that are, it is inner believing and belonging, a statement of faith, and that's important. But what I find often is, the more I've been part of church life, it's very easy just to like look at a set of doctrine and go, well, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, I don't, you know, da-da-da, and go, I'm in, and not really commit to a way of life. It's kind of like a head knowledge that we ascend to, not a way of life that we actually live into. And so the reason that we have... Um, so that statement of faith is in the document that you got, if you want to read that. But what we felt was Jesus just didn't come and say, here's a set of doctrine to believe. He said, I am a person. Follow the way I live. Yeah? And so here's the six practices that we feel help best describe who Jesus was and what he was speaking into our lives to become. And so um, these six practices, the, way, the reason that we taught them, so thoroughly was because we wanted you guys to feel a sense of this is the kind of community that I want to be part of, hopefully, and I want to look like um, my life. So love looks like something. Faith without works is dead. And we think these six practices keep us honest and true to the ways of Jesus. And they're also the six practices that are in our life group guides. And so we want to embed them in smaller groups into one another's lives, okay? And so going forward... Um, what we plan to do then is, in, so, so in some ways when it comes to membership and our believing, on, which we call our believing and belonging, you guys who have sat through most of that, and in some ways are our first run through, you're all, if, if you would like to be part of that next week as we come together, um, you're our, 
you're our members, if you like, you know. And then once a year, for new people to come along and have been around us for a little while and would like to become part of our local church here, we're going to do like a four-week series, probably midweek, say in September, once a year, where we'll teach them through these six practices, talk a little bit about foundations, our history, our vision, and stuff like that. And then on a given Sunday, at the end of that course, we'll welcome new people into church, we'll pray that prayer, and we'll invite everybody to pray that prayer again together once a year as a prayer of commitment and dedication to what God has called us to do. Is that all right? So we're going to, um, I'll, I'll teach a little bit more on this next week because that's basically going to be our service. There's not going to be a, a kind of a sermon that's separated from what we're going to do next week because we're going to have communion together and we're going to commit our hearts to one another in covenant love and strive by the grace of God, right? Strive by the grace of God to um, love one another and to love Jesus into all that he's called us to become. And so in the, we'll email it out again tomorrow, but we'd encourage you, the reason that we didn't put it all into one booklet is if we put it all into one booklet, it's about 50 pages, okay? And uh, about 30 of those pages are a summary of the teaching over the last three months or so on these six topics. So we didn't want that to feel very repetitive for those of you who have sat through that. But if you haven't sat through that and you would like to get the grips of it, we'd encourage you to read that separate document. It's called Following Jesus in All of Life. And um, the other document tells you just a little bit more of a vision and values statement of faith and what we mean about covenant community. All right? So if you're not clear about that at all, or you're not getting those emails or anything like that, please do come and talk to us afterwards, because we'd love to get you that information. Amen? Let's all go home. <laughs> Only joking. The other thing I want to the other thing I want to say is, um, hopefully I'll just weave this in later too. But <clears throat> just to give you a little bit of warning, um, we'd we'd love to really encourage the church over the next potentially from next Monday, if you would like. Uh, again, these are things that you have to weigh up, pray about yourself. It's not a forced thing, but we'd love to maybe empower you all. We're thinking as a leadership of doing a fast for five days, um, uh, the first week of January, starting Monday the 6th of January. really feel that this is a season of um, probably more change for us. Um, we need to hear the Lord afresh. And uh, body, always remember the mind of Christ is not an Alan or Chris. The mind of Christ is in the body of Christ, right? And um, it's, the Lord speaks to us through the body, through one another. As leaders, we have to discern and all of that. But what we, what we would love is as we go into 2020, as we go into a new year, a new decade, both maybe as a personal thing that you want to do for your own life, but also very much corporately together, we'd love to encourage you to maybe think about fasting. You can do a full fast if that freaks you out. And you've never fasted before, probably fasting for five full days is maybe a bit of a you know, jumping into the deep end maybe a bit too quick. But you could do a partial fast. You could maybe fast your phone, which uh, would be a big thing these days, wouldn't it? Um, really just doing something to focus and concentrate your heart and mind a little bit more on the Lord to see what he wants to do and say. Um, it goes without saying, if you're on... Um, if, if you're on any kind of like prescriptions or anything that God, you know, speak to your doctor before you do anything that God, don't be silly or stupid about it. Just ask the Lord very maybe gently to show you something that he might be slightly challenging you over those five days to give up in order that you can give some more time to prayer and to concentrate in your heart and soul and what he won't say to us. And we're hoping, we'll talk next week, we're hoping to have a couple of touch points throughout the week where we could never gather and pray and worship together as well and hear the Lord. But just to give you a little bit of a, just to give you a little bit of thinking maybe this week, and uh, as we kind of do the last stuffing of our faces and finish off the box of roses and all that, you might want to think about how we could maybe fast a little bit next week. All right? Okay. So change of state here after all of that to say that now I'd love us to um, just reflect a little bit in the rest of the service on the year that we have had and what God has been doing in our lives. And maybe to encourage you in the next couple of days before we get to um, the new year, to think about how you could do a review of your life, give thanks to God, and maybe look into the future. Um, I'm, so, um, I'm so, the older I get, the more blessed I am by the faithfulness of God the goodness of God and the good and the bad, his ongoing commitment, his never giving up, never stopping or 
whatever it says in the Jesus Storybook Bible, that little phrase, you know, the never stopping, always and forever love of God that just keeps on moving towards us, following us, hunting us down in the good and in the difficult. Soren Kierkegaard said, life must be lived forwards, but only understood backwards. And there is that sense that we see the will of God much better in retrospect, isn't it, often, than we do sometimes looking forward. And, uh, and so it's important to take stock. It's important to have these moments where we kind of press pause, have some sila moments where, like, ultimately, I think what we should be trying to strive towards is having some of those moments at the end of every day or at the start of every day. And we just reflect on the goodness of God and see his hand even in all that's difficult. And as I read the Bible more and more, I come to appreciate the story of God and I come to appreciate more and more how this story has been handed down one generation to another. So the more I grow up, <laughs> I grow up, the more older I get, right? Um, and uh, the more I understand other worldviews, other philosophies, other, they've all kind of came and gone. You know, most other worldviews, philosophies of how to do life have kind of all come and gone. Our story has been passed from generation to generation to generation. And you read the Bible four, 6,000, whatever it might be, years ago, they just kept telling their story. They kept reflecting. They kept looking back about how God had brought their ancestors through Red Seas, about how God had freed them from slavery, about how God had brought them into promised lands and all of that kind of thing. And I just feel today that it would be good for us as we come to the end of 2019 to think a little bit, to retell our story a little bit through some of the lives of other people. And so it would be great to hear some short testimony from other people this morning as well. So um, it's been great over the last few weeks to hear from other people in church, and we're going to continue that theme this morning. And so um, I, I purposely not like, you know, um, not to put words in any of their mouths because I haven't really told them anybody what to say, but I purposely haven't necessarily said for people to come up and say, oh, life's been a breeze and it's been wonderful. Um, purposely ask some people to come and share about how God has been faithful in their lives in both the beauty and in both the difficulty of the year ahead. So uh, they're going to come, there's four people coming. So we're going to ask June, would you come first? All right, so let's give her a wee round of applause, could they? As, um, <clears throat> just to encourage them as they come. So, June, you tell us. I'm just going to hand this to you and you far away. I'll stand beside you, don't worry. Okay. Um, for anybody that doesn't know me, I'm June. I'm married to Ian. Um, I have two grown-up children, Philip and Elizabeth, and the best son-in-law ever, Mark. Mm -hmm. And our family is completed by a West Highland Terrier called Hayley. Oh. So... Um, before I say anything about 2019, I just want to give you a quick summary of what led up to the situation I was in at 20, the start of 2019. <coughs> so in 2018, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and my world just fell apart. Um, in March 2018, my daughter was turning 30. We had a family wedding coming up, and Ian and I were to celebrate 40 years of marriage. And all these plans were just turned around. They weren't what God had planned for my life. So shortly after, I had surgery and then five weeks of radiotherapy. And... Um, after the radiotherapy, I was getting ready to return to work and making plans for the future. But towards the end of last year, I had to have emergency surgery to remove a large tumour from my bowel. Um, that was difficult. Um, but on exactly a year ago, actually, on the day after Boxing Day, I had my first cycle of chemotherapy. So that brings us up to 2019. And 2019, for me, started off facing 
six months of chemotherapy. Now, it was difficult to say the least, and it was just when I thought back after Alan had asked me to share this that I realized just how difficult it was. But God had blessed me with a wonderful family and with God's help and strength and my family's love and patience, I got through that, thankfully. Mm -hmm. um, I was getting chemotherapy every two weeks, so I had a good weekend and a bad weekend. And on the good weekend, I was able to get out to church. Mm -hmm. now, um, I can recall many times when the teaching here in Emmanuel and the worship really spoke into my heart. And there's one song which just overwhelmed me every time we sang it. And it was, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Um, the verse, and on that day when my strength is failing, mm. the end draws near and my time has come. Mm. Still my soul will sing your praises ever ending. Mm. Now, I was down here <coughs> in this church and my strength was failing. Mm. I could just feel it. There were people that I had met when I was getting my chemotherapy that sadly it was the end for them. But I realized just how important it was that I kept singing God's praises throughout this difficult time, even on the bad days as well as the good. Mm. Now, God's hand was definitely on my life, and Alan has spoke about making a commitment to Emmanuel and poured it down. And I thank God that he placed us here at the right time, because I received such good support, pastoral care, and the prayers of many people. And I'd just like to thank the leadership team of Emmanuel Portadown for all their support, and all of you for your prayers, not just for me, but also for Ian, because as you know, going through an illness is equally as difficult for people that are with you 24 seven and caring for you. And I can assure you, my husband and my daughter <coughs> will confirm this, that there were days when I was hard work, <laughs> really hard work. So the chemo finished in June in time for me to celebrate my birthday. Now, the year before, in 2018, I had turned 60. That's hard to believe. <laughs> but on my 60th birthday, I was lying on the table in the city hospital having radiotherapy <coughs> with the tears running into my ears. So I was going to make up for lost time. But things were looking up, but not for long. Um, I was told shortly after the chemo finished that I needed major surgery to remove two parts of my liver. And this just was such a blow. Um, I thought I had major surgery eight months ago. I've just struggled my way through six months of chemotherapy. And now I'm going to have to have major surgery. My body's wrecked. I can't take anymore. But at that time, I sensed God's peace. And I knew that that was his plan for my life. And I knew he wouldn't let me down. So, again, it was a very difficult time. And the recovery this time due to the previous surgery and the chemotherapy was a lot slower. I've recently had day surgery to remove a nodule from my lung. So that, I think that has been, sums up quite an eventful year. But when I reflect, I see God's hand in every situation. I have so much to be thankful for. My daughter, she um, requested every Thursday off. So she came with me to get my chemotherapy on the bad week. And the good Thursdays, we just done fun things and went out for lunch and we had a very blessed time. Um, during this illness, I have experienced lots of answered prayer. 
the prayers of so many people have been answered. Prayers for healing, prayer for protection, prayer for the expertise and wisdom of the NHS staff, which I have to say are wonderful. But most of all, the prayer for peace. I experienced peace throughout this, and I knew that God was with me. Um, I recently was reminded of the story of Peter in the midst of the storm. Um, when Peter started to sink, Jesus reached out and grabbed hold of him. Now, the storm didn't calm, but he had hold of him, and he didn't leave him on his own. Now, I don't know what you're facing as we reach 2020. Maybe like you, me, you're in the midst of a storm. Um, but you can be assured that Jesus has hold of you mm. and that he's not going to let you go. He didn't let me sink in 2019. Mm. Now, there are times this year when I have felt like my head was just above water and that I could have sunk at any time. But I'm in calmer waters now. And I just thank God every day for the gift of every new day. And I just want to leave you with a verse to carry with you into 2020. It's one of my favorite verses. And I waken up to it every morning because it's on my bedside cabinet. And it's Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Enjoy every day. So good, so good to hear that. Uh, you know, one of the other things as I get older, uh, I've said that a lot this morning. But one of the other things that you come more and more impressed with, you be, you're you're impressed with faith, and we should be, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But the older you get, the more impressed you become with faithfulness. Yeah, and um, I just really want to honour the faithfulness of um, June and Ian. You know, Ian along with Stephen and Trevor, the prayer round poured down every, every Friday night in the midst of all that's been going on. And that that's faithfulness, you know, faithfulness. Yeah. And uh, you can be faithful when, you, you know, you, you have faith. And uh, it's been just wonderful just to see faithfulness of June um, in your own life uh, coming out and being part of what's going on even when it hasn't been easy so i just love us to take a moment and just stretch your hand out if you wouldn't mind continue just to pray for strength and healing for for jane god we just thank you for our sister we thank you father for what you've been doing in her life in such trialing and uh, troubling days god and god we thank you lord even as she testified lord that even when the strength has been failing and even when it's felt like the end was coming just thank you, Lord, that you had given her, Lord, even the days where it was a whimper or she could hardly get the words out, Lord. We just thank you for her. Um, the strength you give her to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to sorrow with those who have no hope, oh God. And Lord, we just press strength in the June. We speak the healing virtue of Jesus, oh God into her body from the top of her head to the soles of her feet, God. We pray, Lord, that everything that's, felt, that's been taken out, oh God, that's felt like it's weakened her physically, God, that you would now put back in in your strength, oh God. Strengthen her in body and in soul and in spirit. And may this season of life, these calmer waters, as she's described, be a blessed time for her in living for you, serving you, loving her family and those that you bring into her orbit. We pray your blessing on her in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. Brilliant. Well done, June. Well done. Trevor, give Trevor, or Trevor, Trevor, Ian, Ian Buchanan. I was looking at Trevor saying, Ian. I'll let you work out whether that's a compliment or not. Come on, Ian. Hi, um, I'm Ian, <laughs> not Trevor. And uh, <laughs> look, uh, my to Susan, Rachel, Judith, and Joel, who come here and thankfully do come here and enjoy here and serve here. And I suppose to start off with the family, just a 2019 
it's the blessings that's been poured onto us. Um, one is through family. Uh, for you who don't know, and some of you do and have supported, Rachel and Judith went away to Paraguay during the year and how this as a church family supported them through prayer and financially and just how God provided that. It was just such a blessing. Um, also with work, uh, I work with a public transport company, um, but you think of managing issues um, and it just gets deeper and deeper and, and, and some of the issues you talk about one of the practices has been as mission and we get to be missionaries and paid for it as Ali keeps talking about and you go into your workplace and just, you just don't know what's next and like this is issues like from prostitution, murder, you know, terminally ill, really difficult situations and just the, the chaos that that leaves behind and dealing with those people. Um, but once you sit down and talk about your faith with them and they talk about where they're at, you realize that you're in this mission field and it's, uh, it, it's, it's difficult because you're in a workplace and you don't know what to say, but you know, God and the Holy Spirit just fills you with the right words and also the encourages you and um, like I will never leave you nor forsake you you know and this and even my colleagues are saying like how do you cope you know with all these things going on and you just think it's God you know and that's the only way you get through it and uh, also we've touched on it earlier too Ali about the life groups and anybody that's not in a life group I recommend that because you can share with with them and they're praying for you you're praying for them and listening to situations as well. And that's 2019 is one of the highlights that's been getting involved in a small group and getting to know them and how that has been supportive in the whole thing. Uh, the other thing goes on my life is sport. Uh, it's probably I would be involved more about 15, 20 years ago. Um, Joel now competes and I compete in classics. I know you're thinking, <laughs> what's he doing? Now I lead it like that. But uh, it, it's, it's not only just quality time with Joel your way on a day, but friends who I'd met 20, 30 years ago, you're, you're talking to them and you're uh, having conversations with them, but you're more outward focused now. And you know, you're thinking, like, you know, there's more to life than just motorbikes. You know, the, there's other things. And you, you get opportunities to speak to them, you know, about my faith, where I, where I, was then to where I am now, and um, just the opportunities that that has arisen, you know, opened up the doors that's opened up there, it's been amazing. Um, even getting to pray with people, like in the middle of a field, like surrounded by motorbikes, you know, um, just situations that they're in, uh, or where they've been and where they've come to now, um, and it's just been amazing how God has opened them doors, and just reaching out for them opportunities at every every opportunity that you, you see, you know, and, and grasping it, so it has. But, uh, and, and through all those things, it, it, the teaching of Emmanuel, you know, we, we come here, we, yes, we were in Lurgan, we came to Port Down when Ali asked us and uh, told us all about here. Uh, you know, f family are from, from Port Down. Uh, I'm not, I, I was from Moria, but, uh, you know, the kids through their school, you know, seeing how they've grown with their trip to Paraguay, their, you know, their enthusiasm to Rachel with her Brownstown, uh, Judith working up in Gervahi in the kids club, their heart for the kids in Portadown, and just knowing that we're in the right place, you know, to, to carry out that work for God. And we're just thanking, that's where I was getting to, the, how the church has equipped us, you know, whether it be in my workplace, my sport, or with my family, um, and even the church family probably things do get messy with all families. Um, there's situations at the minute, and we just thank for members of the church here praying with us, uh, processing that whole mess uh, at the minute. And we just thank you that we're here, and thank you for the church family, and thank you for the teaching of Emmanuel to equip us to go out into these places, whether it be a workplace, family, and our sports. Well done, yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Wilson. Aha, I mean Johnny. <laughs> jo Johnny um, is going to come next. Johnny, um, give Johnny a round of applause. Thanks very much. Currently, I have a far better haircut than Wilson, anyway. So, we'll, we'll stick. We'll stick with that one. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Johnny, and uh, I'm married to the wonderful Grace. She's floating about somewhere pushing a pram. But yeah, I suppose if I had to, to sum up, uh, and Ali's asked about uh, thinking through 2019, uh, for me it's probably been summed up as it's, it's a, been a, an amazing year. It's been hugely impactful in my life, but it's probably been a year of transition if I had to probably uh, sum it up in, in one word. And probably the biggest transition of it all was on, on the 6th of August. Uh, we were blessed with the arrival of Ezra James George Hampton, uh, who is just totally, totally amazing. It is changed everything. It's changed everything. We are totally blessed. Uh, it's turned life upside down. But it brought a whole new perspective on life. You know, I, I love him more than I love rugby. You know, that's, it's, it's huge. You know, I, it's had that impact. So it has. But uh, yeah, a whole new set of emotions, a whole new set of responsibilities. And th this, this, I suppose, storm, as you would call it, of, of just me and Grace not realizing we could love something as much as, as we love Ezra. It's just been an amazing, huge year. But but with that, and, and with everything that's been amazing and brilliant with that has come transition, hasn't it? You know, uh, the lack of sleep, uh, the fact that it seems to be a never-ending carousel of changing a nappy, making a bottle, feeding the bottle, sleeping, changing the nappy, <laughs> making the bottle. This, this continuation of all of these things that seem to have come with it. Uh, I remember that Ezra was was born just before the Rugby World Cup started and I had these brilliant uh, dreams of, sure, I'll sit with my newborn son and my name, we'll get to watch the entire Rugby World Cup, it'll be brilliant. How wrong was I? I, I an 80-minute game took three and a half hours to watch by the time you paused and got up and yeah, started that whole nappy thing. So it's been uh, amazing and it's been crazy and there's been a lot of transition. I even remember I was home about five or six I was home about five or six days from hospital. Yeah, I mean, Ezra was home about five or six days from hospital. And uh, I remember Grace had managed to fall asleep somewhere. Ezra had, uh, yeah, had went down somewhere to sleep. And I, I remember texting my sister, who's two kids in, in like this, this sort of teary-eyed kind of like, how do I do this? <laughs> What's going on? What, how am I going to cope with all this? And again, she sort of threw the arm room and told me it'll, it'll be all right. And, and transition is tough. Transition brings change and all these different things, but it's been a totally amazing change. But there's been obviously lots of things that you have to go through with that and adjusting to do. And times where I've felt, how am I ever, ever going to be able to, to do this? And what's life going to look like now? I suppose another transition over the past uh, I suppose 12 to 18 months has been the transition of, of church, of, of uh, saddling here uh, at Emmanuel. And it's been uh, a really, really exciting time for Grace and I, uh, just to have been able to, to join in the, the church family here. And, and, and with that, again, it's been, we've been blown away even when Ezra was born of just the kindness and, and fellowship. And just how some people have been speaking this morning of how church supports you with this. Uh, for, for a while, there was never-ending meals been left at. The, the door, it was like manna, we wondered when it was going to end, it was amazing, you're just waking up and there was another lasagna, it was unbelievable, so it was, but uh, yeah, it just meant so much in those early days of transition and change, it, it meant so much to us uh, as, a, as a family, just to have that support, and we thank church for that so much, but again, with transition and change, it, it, there is those times where it was hard work, getting to know everybody, getting to know just what way a new church works and all these different things, and actually wanting to know, okay, God, you have us here, where, where do we get our hands dirty, what do we do, how do we serve you best uh, in this place, in this church? of a town that I love and an area that I love and want to see Jesus uh, break through into as well. Uh, another transition, I suppose, and, and changes went on this year with me is uh, I work for an organization called Reach, where I have the privilege of, of helping lead uh, the organization where we provide mentors for young people, which is uh, a support for them through difficult life circumstances. We provide a Christian mentor that's going to journey with them through life's ups and downs. And five years ago, uh, Rick and I stepped out to do this and uh, we simply wanted to work with young people in Lurgan Junior High School. And it, that was brilliant and fantastic. But five years on, God just has had other plans and we're sitting in the middle of a season, which is amazing. We've about 360 young people a week uh, with working alongside Rachel, the mentor that's just being supported uh, and journeyed with each week. And, and God has really taken the tent pegs and just sort of stretched them out a little bit. Over this past year, we had a conversation a year ago in Dungannon uh, with a group of teachers, and they wanted support for their young people in their community. They wanted a Christian influence on them and, and uh, someone that will journey with them through the different things that they were going through. And uh, for us, we... 
we had resource-wise at Reach, we had we had no way we could do this. And isn't it amazing that in 12 months that we've just been able to, uh, the community of Dungan have, have raised the funds for a full-time worker, and we're just so excited, been able to employ an amazing worker that's going to be starting Pioneer in the work in Dungan in 2020. So it's just been an amazing year with that as well. But again, with transition and change and what Reach has looked like over the past year uh, has meant, I suppose, my day-to-day -day has, has changed as well slightly, where I said five years ago it was brilliant. We just wanted to go and work with young people in Lurgan Junior High School and now I find myself sitting thinking about how we're going to fundraise wages for eight or nine people. Uh, how do we oversee 360 young lives that are coming into contact with our mentors on a weekly basis, carrying so, so much? Uh, I mean, when I went to university, I trained as a primary school teacher, so finger paints and counting to 10 was about the height of it. Uh, I'd say that it's like, you know, there's times where I'm sitting this year going, God, how how am I equipped to do this? How am I going to do this really well? Uh, and that has been a huge transition into the middle of that as well. And I suppose just summing it up, I just finished reading Joshua lately. And for me, there's suppose three key things that uh, the book of Joshua just really stood out to me uh, for this season of transition in life. And uh, the first one was, I suppose, like Joshua, we've been called to follow God with everything we have. Even if we feel we aren't the right person for the job, if we're following God under what he has called us, then... I'm exactly where God wants me to be at this time. And, and for me, whether that's looking after a baby, uh, whether that's helping uh, with reach or, or whatever that may look like, if I'm called to follow God and if I'm following him with everything I've got, then I'm exactly where God wants me to be at that moment. Uh, God told Joshua numerous times to be courageous. This phrase came up and up again, and especially in Joshua 1, about being courageous. So even though transition throws its obstacles, through things that you've got to work through, things you've got to adjust to, things that you've got to uh, get your emotions and your head around. Uh, God calls us to be courageous in the middle of that, and he equips us to be courageous. And I suppose, just like Joshua, God goes with us. He goes before us, equips us, and he is all that we need. So in the middle of, like I said, 2019, which has been an amazing year, which has been a really, really blessed year, but it's been a year full of transition and change and getting used to things and getting my head around things and, yeah, having to work through lots of stuff. Uh, God's with me. He's equipped me. Uh, and he's all that I need uh, moving forward. Brilliant, John. Well done, John. Well done. <laughs> Great stuff. Thank you, John. Just to finish, Haley. Haley. Come and tell us just how you've seen God's hand in your life over the last year. Um, hello. I, I don't want to go into too much about my past, but um, I have a diagnosis of PTSD from childhood trauma, so you can imagine what happened there, okay? Um, I first became a believer when I was 17, but I didn't, my PTSD wasn't at the fore at that time. So I, did, I was going quite well for a couple of years, and then it kicked in. And then I found it very, very difficult to maintain my Christian walk, so I wasn't walking with the Lord. Now, it was um, about this time last year, I was walking into Home Bargains, heard the voice of the Lord saying me, you need to go in there and get right with me. So I walked into Connect Cafe, um, and some guys prayed with me, and that started my journey from 2019, which has been unbelievable. Um, the Lord knew, knew what I needed, and he put me here um, with some really good, mature Christians who have been a great support, chauffeuring me to various things. Um, <laughs> got them to grow, absolutely amazing. Even if you've been a Christian a long time, I highly recommend grow because you will meet lots of wonderful people. Um, and there's a couple here from my grow group and Awesome Freedom in Christ and again in my second grow group. Um, so the Lord had his hand on me, but my PTSD was still there. It didn't just disappear overnight. So I was still having nightmares and um, flashbacks and stuff. And my... I don't want to say too much, but I didn't want to be on this planet anymore. So that kind of sums up how I was. Um, and then a cousin of mine took his own life. And uh, this was just before Freedom in Christ. So that led me to start thinking about how I would do it. Um, even seeing the devastation of, about my family. Uh, but I went to Freedom in Christ, and I have to say Freedom in Christ was life-changing. Um, they walk you through things and you do just wee bit by bit, wee bit by bit, by bit by bit. And in Freedom in Christ, that's when um, the Lord really touched me. And I haven't had any flashbacks, nightmares, low mood since. That was back in June or July, I think. Mm -hmm. I haven't had anything like that. Um, just amazing. It's like I've been in psychiatric care for 20 odd years. And the Lord did in a few weeks what 20 odd years of psychiatric care couldn't do. Yeah. Um, so now, I was, I was taking a lot of risks with my health. I'm an insulin-dependent diabetic, so I wasn't taking insulin. Uh, I was taking a lot of risks. 
um, because I thought, well, if, 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 you know, if it happens, it happens. I, I actually probably would quite welcome that. So now, my health, I take care of myself, right? But this is the funny thing. I ended up in hospital at the beginning of December, uh, and I thought, my initial thought was, why, Lord? You know, you've done all this work in me. Why am I, why am I laying in a hospital bed? I, I did have gallstones when I went into hospital. I don't have gallstones anymore. Uh, Chris and Debbie came and prayed for me, and they're now gone. And my doctor said to me, but they don't just disappear. And I'm like, I don't know what to say to you. They're not there. So, um, so I, came out, I came out of hospital just shortly before Christmas. So manic, mad panic to get everybody's presents and stuff. Had like a lot of rich food over Christmas, as you can imagine, and I have no problems, gallbladder, because I had gall effects on my gallbladder and then pancreatitis. So I was two hospital admissions inside four weeks, so I did quite well there. Uh, I just, I just want to really say that the Lord's put me in this place here, um, being in life groups, um, you know, Claire's life group and, and grow and everything else has just been a massive support, and I've never actually felt more discipled in my life because <laughs> I didn't feel discipled back then. You know, when I first became a believer, uh, like I met people who've commented on the, on the change in me. Even my psychiatrist, I saw her at the beginning of December, and she said, the change in you in the last year has been amazing. It's as if you've just got it. And I went, is that a medical term? <laughs> so, so I, yeah, you know, my mood has not dropped. I, I, I don't know how to explain that. But it hasn't dropped. It's like I know the Lord, the Lord has a plan for me. And even through the tragedy in my own family, I have been able to support my, my dad, who was actually like a second father to my cousin, and he took it very hard. And I was able then to support my dad, because he wanted to know, you know, what was he thinking? And, you know, I was able to explain a lot of that. And that's really helped him. So it's as if, you know, sometimes if you've been through a really bad time, and I had, I, not, not, it wasn't for my family, it was outside my family with trauma, but um, sometimes you think, well, why would the Lord allow that to happen? Why did he allow that? I was a kid. Why did he allow that to happen to me? And now when I look back and look back over the last year, I know I, I can help others here. You know, I can really help others. I can help, help people, you know, understand. You know, um, you don't have to live in that, that oppression that that can give you. You can break free from it with the Lord's help. Um, so just get involved in things here. If freedom in Christ comes up, go to it. It's absolutely awesome. Grow. If you're a young Christian, if you're an old Christian, doesn't matter. Go to it. It is absolutely fantastic. It's like the beginning, the basics of the faith. But I tell you what, I learned a lot, and I thought there wasn't that much they could tell me. So, so that's about it. All right, Alan. Well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. <clears throat> Bless you, Healy. It's so wonderful to hear all these great stories. Um, hopefully, um, uh, in all of those four different stories or different threads of things that you could connect with that have maybe um, resonate with you in your year that you've been through. I, I would love us to take communion now. Um, just before we do, just a couple of thoughts. Um, that really just five minutes, and then we'll take communion before we finish. Um, part of the reason why I thought it would be great to hear some of the stories that were told was because We've come through a season called Advent, and I, I don't know um, about you, but I have never really understood, as a kind of charismatic kind of Christian, the sort of uh, church history's understanding of the Advent season. I thought it had mostly to do with uh, chocolate calendars, okay? Um, but um, Advent um, talks about and means in Latin the coming or the arrival, or the Greek word for that. Some of you who maybe have read a little bit will know that that was the word parousia, and it's both an understanding of the coming of the Lord at the birth of Jesus, but also, crucially, the coming of the Lord again, the second coming of the Lord. And so throughout the Advent season, uh, the Sundays, um, sort of last, end of November, start of December, if you were brought up maybe in Church of Ireland or maybe you have a Roman Catholic background and brought up in that church, you might remember that some of the readings would have been um, splatterings of... Um, passages in the, in the Old Testament prophets about the coming of a deliverer and the, the, something new coming, something new happening. You would have had readings about John the Baptist talking about preparing the way of the Lord. And there would be readings then eventually of the annunciation of Christ coming into the world as deliverer. And, um, and so when you think about it, Advent is not just, as the kind of jingle say, it's not just really the warm and fuzzy, it's the most wonderful time of the year because for lots of people it's not. And the Bible um, 
uh, what, what I've learned to appreciate more and more about the Bible is the Bible doesn't actually try to give us easy answers for evil and for wickedness and, and for the things that happen in the world that are just really tough. The Bible doesn't give you platitudes. It doesn't give you easy answers. Most of the other worldviews can't actually even explain evil. That's where they all fall down. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to explain it. And the Bible doesn't try to explain it rationally. The Bible just doesn't dice it. It doesn't try to dodge it. And what it does is it brings it to a point where we realize that somebody took that evil in and of themselves in a barbaric execution of the Son of God. That is the story of the Bible. And that's why it makes more sense to me than any other story out there. And, um, and that's why it's my kind of living faith. And so we become aware that Advent is the time between the first coming of the Lord and the second coming of the Lord, which is that something as decisive has happened in history. Something has entered into the world, but yet the presence of evil is still all around us. And isn't that where we live our lives every day? Don't we live our lives in the time in between? We live our lives, that's what it feels like. It feels like some of us walk wards every day. We're aware of God's presence and power to heal but we're also looking in the face of people who are sick and dying and tormented. Some of us are sit in classrooms where we see the beauty of God's design in children, their potential, the, the life that God has for them, and yet we know their family background and everything that's going on in their life and the torment that is going on in those young lives. Some of us walk our streets and give thanks to God for what he's doing in our town, yet we walk past homelessness and poverty and all of those things. We witness the hope at times. I get to witness the hope in this job of people coming to know Jesus, of families reconciling, of people forgiving one another, and yet I also sit at gravesides, listen to stories of torment and abuse and some of the most horrible things. This, as we've talked about before, is the now and the not yet. And this is actually what Advent was really all about. It's not really, you know, and I love a bit of warm and fuzzy, but what the Advent time is really getting at is the essence of life here on earth that sits with us in our brokenness, but also looks with hope and promise to the deliverer coming. Because Jesus came into enemy-occupied territory to take back the keys of death and hell off the bond, from the bondage that the enemy has enslaved humanity into. And so Jesus came, offered up himself in his own body in order to take all of that into himself, to give us freedom and left us here to continue that work because that battle is still raging until the day when Jesus comes back. And so this is the time of year where we live in this tension, the disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterize life in this present world is held in dynamic tension, tensions with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. In, in that advent tension, the church lives its life. And so what I, I want us to think about as we close this out and as we close this Sunday out uh, of, of the last Sunday of the year, we live, we live in a really, really, really significant time. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, to you who live at the culmination of the ages, we live at the culmination of the ages. We live right, the early church were so fervent because they lived with the reality that Jesus was probably in their heads going to come back before they died. And so that's why they were so fervent. And I suppose what I want to just say to you, and Bruna touched this at the very start, and I just say this, and I'm speaking to my own heart. I think there is, as we enter a new decade, I think there is a sense that the Lord says to us, be alert, wake up, don't get distracted. Wait and hasten the day of the Lord because it is approaching. And nobody these days really likes to talk too much about Jesus coming back, but he is coming back, and he is coming back soon. And Paul told, Peter told the early church to wait and to hasten the day of the Lord. How do you do that? How do you wait and hasten? That sounds like opposites to me, doesn't it? To wait, but also hasten. We, we wait because we realize that it's not us that's coming back. We're not the Savior. We wait in the sense that we wait for God. We hasten we speed it up, if you like, by prayer, come Lord Jesus, but by our acts of good deeds, by our acts of being children of the light. We are not children of the darkness, we are children of the light. And so the cry to the church is, wake up, wake up, be alert, 
be attentive, be sober, have your spirits tuned to what is going on because something has happened in history. Jesus has come and Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, he's coming back to judge the living and the dead and he's going to establish his reign and his rule and he's going to fully and utterly and ultimately conquer all evil. It's going to be cast down. And all that is good and beautiful about this world that we live in, it's going to be that forever. And so in the meantime, we are children of the light. We live in Advent, in a sense, every day. We weep with people when they weep, right? We sit with people in their torment. We listen to the cries of people's broken hearts because the presence of wickedness and evil and the enslavement of the devil of so many people still exists. And so we listen, we sit, we sit, and we wait. And that's what the Bible does with us. And yet, we wait with promise and with hope for the future, for another world that has already started to break into this one that is going to fully come. And we wait. We wait in action. Let me finish with this. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. This is, <clears throat> this guy's known, can't say his proper name. He's known as the, the cellist of Sarajevo. On the 20th of May, 1992, the principal cellist in the Sarajevo opera, dressed in his formal black tails, sat down on a fire scorched chair in a bomb crater to play Albanino's Adagio in G major. G minor, for those of you music freaks. The site was outside a bakery in this little village neighborhood where 20 people who were waiting in line for bread had been killed the previous day. During the siege of Sarajevo from 1992 to 1995, more than 10,000 people were killed. The citizens lived in constant fear of shelling and snipers while struggling each day to find food and water. This little village lived near one of the new the few working breakeries where a long line of people gathered when a shell bomb exploded. The, she the cellist of Sarajevo ran to the scene and was overcome with grief at the carnage. For the next 22 days, one for each victim of the bombing, he decided in the, ch in the ugliness of the war to come with his only weapon, beauty. Known as the cellist of Sarajevo, he not only performed outside the bakery, but continued to unleash the beauty of his music in graveyards, at funerals, in the rubble of buildings, and in the sniper-infested streets. I never stopped playing my music, he said, throughout the siege. My weapon was my cello. Although completely vulnerable, he was never shot. It was as if the beauty of his presence repelled the violence of the war. His music created an oasis amid the horror. It offered hope to the people of Sarajevo, and a vision of beauty to the soldiers who were destroying the city. We talked, as one of our practices, about creativity. You all have a song. You all have a cello. And what we're called to, I think, in this next year as a church, that's your weapon. And you, you don't just play it up here at the front of church. You play it in the midst of the rubble. You play it in the midst of brokenness. You play it in this time that we live in between, waiting and hastening the day of the Lord. Jesus is coming back. Wake up. Wake up, Alan. Wake up your spirit. Change some things as you review your year. Do you know what? Your systems are designed to get you the results that they're getting. All right? Think about that. Your systems, your rhythms, if you're frazzled at the end of this year, and I know we're all a bit like that, right? But if, if, we're, if, if there's things in our life that have got us to a place, and this, this I'm talking to myself first and foremost, right? Part of the reason might be, it could be circumstances that we can't help, but part of the reason might be there's certain systems and structures and rhythms in life that are getting you the results that you're getting. So how do you change the results? You have to change the systems. You have to tweak some things. You have to stop letting yourself get distracted by certain things. And this is all I preached to Alan Emerson first and foremost this morning. But 
look, Jesus is coming back. We wait and we hasten the day of the Lord. And in the meantime, we wait in action. We keep playing our cello. Because the abide, my abiding image for 2019, as it finishes, another one, quite similar. But this one, April 2019, Notre Dame, pretty much burned down, well, partly anyway. And yet in the midst of all the rubble, in the midst of all the brokenness, in the midst of how could this ever happen to this incredible building, the cross still stands. It's the promise of an enduring future. And what not to have that in your life? What not to live with that? And what not to want to share that with other people? And so I'm sorry we are a little bit late this morning. But I wanted you to hear those stories this morning. And I'd love us to take communion as we finish. Is that okay? Um, the kids will do a good job. The kids workers of just holding in force for another five minutes. But let's just not try to lose this moment. And um, I'd love us to take communion together as we think about the cross that endures in the midst of the brokenness of our lives and remember both the now and the not yet dynamic of the world that we live in, the hope and the beauty of Jesus lives on in our hearts. All right? Why don't we stand together? I'm just going to pray and then I just want to encourage you to go 